Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll be at verse 13 and following. At the beginning of uh, World War II, General Douglas MacArthur uh, was living in the Philippines outside of Manila. He was the commander of the U.S. and Philippine forces in the Pacific. Uh, he lived there with his family. He had actually spent many years in the Far East, and he had retired there, and he had worked directly for the Filipino government. Um, he was appointed as the commander of the U.S. and Philippine forces, uh, and then Pearl Harbor happened. Um, and the Japanese juggernaut, um, military juggernaut, took island after island and country after country, and they were poised to wipe out the U.S. forces and their allies in the Philippines. And so President uh, Roosevelt at the time ordered General MacArthur to, to leave the Philippines, to leave his command post there and go to Australia where he would command the allied forces in the whole Pacific. But that meant abandoning his home and his friends and, and most importantly, 90,000 U.S. and Philippine troops that were stationed in the Philippines. Uh, leaving them to Japanese tyranny. And as gut-wrenching and possibly discouraging as it was, MacArthur complied with the pre presidential order and left. Uh, and that's a whole other story. They, they snuck him out in PT boats and got him safely uh, to Australia. But in coming to Australia, he arrived there and he defiantly and clearly and famously said, I shall return. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote from General MacArthur. And that quote actually served as a rallying cry for uh, the demoralized American forces and the war effort in the Pacific. Uh, it, it was a rallying cry that stirred people to commit to victory, even though that they were, at the time they were facing overwhelming odds. And as people were rallied to this and fought in the Pacific, sure enough, three years later, General MacArthur did return victorious to the Philippines, good to his word. Well, Jesus, more importantly, has also emphatically stated that he shall return. And his words about his return are to rally us as well. They're to encourage us. They are to influence us as we face the battles of this life. That we would be encouraged and strengthened and look forward to His victorious return. And, that, and that's really what this passage today is about. It calls us to be encouraged and to encourage one another in light of the glorious return of Jesus. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 13-18. through 18. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for this truth in Your Word. We thank You for the Word that's living and active. It's not merely a statement. It's not merely uh, ink on paper. But it is Your living Word. And we learn about Your return here. And I pray You would help me to teach and proclaim this truth and help us to listen and absorb it and be changed by it. That our lives would be animated by this truth and strengthened in this truth. And You would propel us in what You call us to do as a result being strengthened in You. So help me, Lord. Help us. And Lord, through it be glorified, we pray. Amen. Verse 13 says, uh, Paul says to his friends in Thessalonica, 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Philippians 4, 13-18. And I want to dig into this. The core truth here is that we are to encourage one another in light of Jesus' glorious return. Uh, and I want to look at three different things here. I think you, you have notes in front of you. First, I want to look at how Jesus' return with His saints is guaranteed by His resurrection. His return is guaranteed by His resurrection. Paul actually starts out in this section in verse 13 speaking about not wanting them to be uninformed about uh, those who are asleep, that they might not grieve as others who have no hope. Uh, he wants them to be informed so that they can have hope and they wouldn't grieve. And then at the end of the paragraph in verse 18, he more or less says the same thing. Encourage one another with these words. So let these words, let these truths encourage you and give you hope and keep you from grieving. Uh, let these words reset your paradigm for life so that you live in a different way. So he bookends really uh, this paragraph with that statement in verse 13 and statement in verse 18. But I want to save that for the last. Uh, so the last point, we'll talk about how it encourages us. So what I want to do is just move into verse 14 where he starts to give the reason, the, the content of, of our hope. Why we should have hope. So he says in verse 14, uh, giving the reason for, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So he grounds the, the truth and he grounds the reason for hope in something uh, that's grounded itself on Jesus dying and rising again. I hope you see that in verse 14 uh, where he, he grounds it in Jesus dying and rising again. Uh, that's, that's what guarantees the rest. It's even so because of this, uh, through Jesus, these other things will happen. So the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the, is the ultimate ground for our hope. The ultimate ground for being encouraged. The ultimate ground for understanding the guarantee of His return. That's what Paul's saying here. The, that Jesus in His death and resurrection has, um, has done something that is going to lead to really actually everything else happening. The whole universe actually gets set on an irreversible course by Jesus' death and resurrection. And this influences us as believers. Actually, all people will are, are and will be affected by this. By this death. See, this isn't just any death. This isn't just any human death. This is a unique death and resurrection. This isn't just any death here because it results in a resurrection. 
Uh, the, the ground is Jesus dying and rising again. This is not just any death because there's a resurrection. He comes back to life on the third day. It isn't just any death as well because this Jesus is, is not just any man. This is God in the flesh. This death, this ground for everything else is the death of God in the flesh if, if that is even possible. It's not just any death because He died bearing our sin. He, he in His death was counted guilty for crimes He didn't commit. It wasn't just any death because as the perfect human being, He was offering Himself as a sacrifice for every human being, all those who would receive it. It's not just any death because He is bearing the sin as God in the flesh of His people. He's bearing the, the justice of God for sin and rebellion for all of His people. For all of our sins of rebellion and hatred committed against God and one another. It's not just any death because He's bearing sin for His people in His death. It's not just any death because in His death He's actually satisfying the righteous demands of God for justice, for sin. It's not just any death because in His death and shedding His blood on the cross and satisfying God's righteous requirement, He pays for sin. He pays the penalty in full. This death brings full and final atonement. It wasn't just any death because He rises again, not just as a, uh, a human being in version 2, but as a new human being with an incredible, superhuman, glorious body that is a prototype and a guarantee of what every human being who trusts in Him will receive as well. And this death guarantees the forgiveness and the resurrection of all those who belong to Him. And this death also guarantees eternal life for all who belong to Him. This death on the cross rescues us from our sin, brings us into an eternal life that will never end. It has no pauses in it. It has no parentheses in it. And that's part of what Paul is getting at here. He's making a connection between his death and resurrection and eternal life. And there's two aspects of that here in, in this verse. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and, and that's a mouthful all that that means. Um, there's lots we can talk about that. And we, uh, but since we believe this, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. <coughs> the, the ground of His death and resurrection is the reason for Him coming and bringing with Him those who have fallen asleep. There's two things that Paul's getting out there. He's bringing with them who? Those who have fallen asleep. You see, the Thessalonians were, were confused and worried about what happens to those who have died. Um, something uh, was missing in their understanding. Paul had been there for a relatively short time uh, in Thessalonica. He had uh, brought the Gospel to them and they had believed and received this wonderful good news of, of Christ dying and rising again. And they had become a church but he didn't have the time in some ways to teach them maybe as everything he needed to. And so they didn't understand what, what was happening to people who, who died now. Where did they go? What happened to their bodies? What happened to their souls? Where did they go? What happens? And, and their culture had lots of crazy answers for that. And, and so they didn't understand. They're uninformed and they're grieving like those who have no hope. And so Paul's answering saying, this is what's going to happen. Just as Jesus died and rose again, 
God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So that there's a future for them and there's actually a present experience for them as well because God brings with Jesus upon His return those who have fallen asleep. They're with Him. He brings them. They're somewhere else. And then he's brought, they're brought with Him to earth. They're alive right now is really what He's saying. What He's teaching here. That, that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, though their bodies are asleep, and asleep is, is a metaphor to, for death, though their bodies have died, their spirits are alive. They're with the Lord. And that's the teaching here because they're bring, being brought with Him. They're with Him already. They're being brought with Him to the earth in the resurrection. They're alive. And this is consistent with the rest of Scripture. That when we die in Jesus, we don't, just, we don't go to sleep spiritually. We don't go to sleep. Our, our bodies don't go in the grave and then our soul sleeps until the resurrection. Nowhere to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. There's no pause. There's no just dying and not existing and then coming back to life. No, to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. We see this here in 1 Thessalonians. We see it elsewhere. Philippians 1.23. We have some verses. I think there they are. Good. I, uh, where Paul's speaking uh, about his own death and life. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two and... My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's saying, guys, I, I, if I had my choice, I'd want to be with the Lord right now. And, and, but God's called me to be here with you to help you, is what he's saying there in Philippians. So in Paul, there's only two places to be, either here or with the Lord. So to be apart from my body, when our body dies, our spirit is with the Lord. There, you go immediately into God's presence as a believer. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Yes, we are of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So if you're away from the body, where are you? At home with the Lord. Jesus answers this as well because the, the Sadducees were a party of religious leaders in His time and they didn't believe in life after death. And so Jesus says, He corrects them by actually using the only part of Scripture they believed. He didn't need to use the rest of Scripture. He went right to uh, right to. Genesis, and he quotes that in Matthew 22:32. He says, um, "You're badly mistaken." Uh, it says, uh, "God speaking, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob." And Jesus says, "He is not the God of the dead, but of the living." So in that passage, God says to others, "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." They had already died, and he's saying, "I am the God, their God, right now." They're here, right here in front of me. Is, is the implication that Jesus is making here. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So there's never been some sort of pause. And there's for all believers, to be apart from your body is to be with the Lord. And so he's wanting to inform the Thessalonians on this that they would understand that to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. That the death and resurrection of Jesus guarantees that for us. When you receive Jesus, the moment you receive Him, the moment you turn from sin and trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. John 5.24 teaches us that. You have it then. Right then. You're never going to die. You're never going to experience death of your soul. You have life. Though your body's going to die, you're eventually going to shed this body. You'll get a new model. Don't worry. It's going to be great. The older I get, the more I look forward to that new model. Um, you're going to get a new model, but your soul will be with the Lord forever. The believer has no reason to fear death because to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. That's what Paul's getting at here as he's teaching them. The guarantee of Jesus' death and 
Resurrection guarantees our eternal life. To be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. And we are going to receive uh, a new body as well. So he's going to go on to explain that. That, that not only are, get, do we get to be with the Lord, but when He returns, we come back with Him. He brings us with Him back to the earth. That's what's going on in this passage. That's what goes on in Scripture. Uh, it's going to be glorious. To be with Him and to enjoy Him forever. And then when things are all completed, the Gospel's gone to all peoples. All His people have come to know Him. And, and that countless number is gathered in. Um, it will be time to finish all things and we will be with Him. He will bring us with Him back to earth. We will come down with Him with the angels. We get to be a part of all that. That's what He's saying. And He's going to bring new bodies at that point. And we'll get into that shortly. He will give us new bodies. And, and His death and resurrection guarantees us to have bodies like His. That's going to be fantastic. So there's no... Death for the believer, there's only life in Jesus. And, and Jesus' death and resurrection is a promise. It's the guarantee of that. And Jesus is, is, is the prototype. His, his death and resurrection actually has affected the whole universe. And, and in time, over time, the, the repercussions of that are just going to go out and out and affect more and more people. And it sets in motion a, a course that's inevitable where He will come back and transform all things. So that it's all grounded in the Gospel. That work that was done, this is part of why we remember it, why we're called to remember it week after week. That work that was done in His death and resurrection has an effect for all things throughout all time. And, and it's already happened. It's already affecting things now. And it's only going to increase in its effect. It's going to change the world. It is changing the world. It will change the world entirely. It will change us entirely. And it all started with His death and resurrection. And so it serves as, as the ground zero for spiritual explosion that goes throughout the whole universe. That's what Paul's saying here. And, and it's important for us to see the ground of it in his good news. This is why we center on the Gospel. This is why we make His death and resurrection our, our focal point. We focus on this. We remember this and, and we live from it and we apply it to all of life. That's what's going on here. So His death and resurrection is this thing that affects all things. It, it's actually kind of uh, like in some way like what happens in technology when a prototype comes out that's revolutionary. It comes out, it's early on, but it has an effect. Actually, in 2007, Apple introduced the iPhone. You remember? Um, before the iPhone was around, and I'm not advertising for Apple here, but before the iPhone was around, there really wasn't anything like it. Um, we had cell phones, we had computers, we had smartphones, but they, remember they were all buttons? I don't know if anyone had a Blackberry back then. I had a Blackberry. Um, we didn't have anything like the iPhone. The iPhone got introduced in 2007. There wasn't anything like it. And it transformed not only the cell phone world, but it transformed the world um, in many ways. The, the, the culture of our, of our country, the West, the culture of the whole world has shifted. There are places in the world right now where people worry about getting their next meal, but they don't worry about access to the internet through their iPhone or iPhone knockoff phone. I've seen it. Um, it's amazing. It's changed the world and, and, and uh, it's had an effect. 
it's made a major cultural shift through the iPhone, and we're just trying to figure out how to deal with the changes brought through the iPhone. Well, Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus' resurrected body is way better than the iPhone. I just want you to know that in case you've wondered. It's way better. First, it's way cooler and more glorious. And second, everyone gets one for free if they want one. It's free and it's for everyone. Everyone will get this new body and this new life. All those who trust in Him, who turn from sin and receive this free gift, receive in Jesus a resurrected body. And that upgrade will be glorious. And so His death and His resurrection is like that. It's something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's had an effect. It's changing the world. It will change all things. That's what Paul's saying here. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, since we believe this thing, we have to understand, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. All these other things follow from it. That's what he's saying. That's the, my first point. Second, Jesus' return will complete our reunion with Him and with His people. So verses 15-17. through 17, He goes on to explain this. He says in verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul says, we declare to you by a word from the Lord in verse 15. Most likely this means a word from Jesus. From Jesus' teaching. And, and that teaching at the time was an oral teaching. They hadn't yet received the Gospels that we have. We have the very words of God in the Gospels and we can look and read Jesus' teaching. It's right there. Uh, it's recorded for us. At this time, they hadn't yet, um, it was very early on, they hadn't yet created the Gospels. Uh, they were sharing these stories though. And so the word from the Lord is teaching from Jesus that had been passed uh, to Paul and to others. And we can compare actually Matthew 24 where the teaching of Jesus on His return is recorded. So Matthew chapter 24, we have it up there, great. Uh, if uh, Jesus teaches on His return. And in particular, verses 30-31 to in chapter 24 give us the teaching. And so you can look at verses 30 to 31. It, it says, um, Jesus' teaching says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. So this is Jesus' teaching. And it's very similar, of course, to what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. So he's, Paul's saying, we're declaring to you by a word from the Lord. It, it, it certainly would have contained and been, uh, been this statement, but there might have been other things that were included in that word. But Jesus Himself taught the same thing, that, that He will come back. He will come back on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. He will send out His angels. There will be a loud trumpet call. And He will gather His elect from the four winds. So His coming is glorious. It's loud. It's clear. It's obvious. It's dramatic. It's decisive. And it includes gathering His people from all around the world and all throughout time. They're gathered together in that return. Um, so it's not just Him alone. I don't know what you've pictured for his return, him coming alone and just kind of, I don't know, coming on top of a mountain somewhere all by himself. He's not by himself when he comes. He's with his angels and he's with his people. His people are gathered to him and, and it's radical. It, it, it changes everything. We don't know 
how things are going to happen and all the particulars, but we know that, that the whole universe is going to be renewed in all that. There's going to be judgment brought to, to all those who have rebelled against Him and all evil will be judged. He's going to deal with His enemies. It's going to be tumultuous. It's going to be glorious. Everything's going to change. But for His people, it means we're gathered to Him and we experience this new and eternal life at that moment. So that's the teaching here. That's what Jesus said. He's gathering His elect in His return. And so Paul's emphasizing that with the Thessalonians. That they would understand, guys, when He comes back, we're going to be gathered together. He's going to bring those who have already fallen asleep and then we're going to go up to meet Him in the air. We're going to be together in this. We're going to be with the Lord. And so don't be discouraged. Don't think that something else happens to your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ when they die. They're with the Lord now and you're going to get to see them and be with them if He returns. If you're still here, you're going to be caught up with them together with the Lord. That's what He's teaching here. That there won't be some sort of you know, experience that they'll miss out on. They're not going to stay in heaven or somewhere else in the meantime, and then Jesus will come back. And uh, some theologians think that that's what the Thessalonians were thinking that, that if you die before Jesus returns, you, get, you go somewhere else, go to heaven, or, or you just sleep. Um, you're not around, and then Jesus will come back, and they'll miss out on it. Those who are alive will get to experience it because they'll be there with the Lord. But everyone else is going to miss out on it. And, and Paul is saying, no guys, that's not how it works. They're with the Lord now, and He's going to bring them with Him, and then we're going to be caught up with Him in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll be together with the Lord forever. Guys, this, is, this experience is going to be glorious. This reunion is going to be fantastic. It is dramatic. This is no secret return of Christ, by the way. The, the here in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is parallel with Matthew 24 and elsewhere, this is a dramatic return. There's no secret return here. This is Jesus coming back with a cry of command. There's a loud cry. Uh, a cry of command. And, and I think it comes from Jesus Himself. And it's probably like the command that He, that he gave when He raised Lazarus from the dead. Where dead Lazarus, His body was dead in the tomb, by the way, his spirit would have been with the Lord at that point as a believer, but his body is dead. And Jesus said, take off the stone. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he rose again bodily in front of everyone. There's a cry of command and probably very similar where Jesus says, come forth. And all the bodies of all the believers are resurrected to new life and joined with their souls in, in a glorious reunion. There's the voice of the archangel. The mighty archangel. The highest angel. Angels are glorious beings. And there's His voice declaring it. There's a trumpet call of God. It is dramatic. It's clear. There'll be no mistaking what's going on. It says in Matthew 24, all, all the tribes of the world will mourn. Those who have not turned to Jesus and have relied on themselves and lived in their rebellion, they will mourn. They will know what's going on. There's no secret here. Some, I say that because some teach that this is a some sort of secret return. That He comes back for believers. We, get, we go up to the air to meet Him and then we're taken away to heaven for a while. And then He does a bunch of stuff on earth and then we come back. But I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. Well, that's what's called the rapture of the church. But that's not what I see here. 
Uh, we don't see it, I don't see it for many reasons. First off, because it's dramatic, it's loud, it's obvious what's going on. It, it, no one can mistake it. There's no secret return here. But there's no indication about him going back. Actually, uh, for, for multiple reasons. This is, this is to be understood as Jesus is coming back to, to bring His kingdom on the earth finally and fully. And, and so, there's, there's different reasons we see that. One is certainly because it's there's the cry of command, the, the trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel. This is loud, it's obvious. But, but also, uh, when Paul says here, um, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with... The, um, let's see... Uh, yeah. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the tr- sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be always with the Lord. So He comes in the clouds in His glory. We're caught up. Those who are on the earth that are believers are caught up with them in the clouds. Those are, who are already uh, have died and are with the Lord are coming with Him. They're all receiving new bodies at this point and we're caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That word meet actually is only used in the Bible three times in the New Testament. Three times. And it's not like just meet. Like just to kind of you go to be with them and that's it. It's actually a word in the culture at the time that conveyed something more than that. So when you come to a word in Scripture, you can just compare it to other words in Scripture. Uh, that word used elsewhere. So if we look where that word is used elsewhere, it's used two other times. Acts 28.15. So we can put these verses up. And it says there, Paul's speaking about a meeting. And he says, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked them and, and uh, thanked God and took courage. So, so there are brothers nearby who come to meet Paul. And their meeting is not just like to encounter Paul, but they're actually greeting him on behalf of their church. Uh, and so the word, the word meet has to do with meeting a dignitary. And usually in meeting the dignitary, you were meeting him and welcoming him to your, to your territory, to your town, or your home. One other place it's used, Matthew 25.6, where Jesus is speaking about his return and he's using stories and he uses the story of a wedding. And in the story, he says this in verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Same word. So these, the, the same exact word. The two other occasions. And this occasion is a wedding. And what did they do in weddings? You would wait at the house and then there was a big procession and party of the bridegroom and his friends and they would come. And you would come out of the house to meet him and then where did you go? Somewhere else? Back to the bridegroom's house? No, you brought the bridegroom into the house of the bride. And you have the celebration. So your, your meeting is, it, it conveys with it a greeting and a welcoming and an escorting of that person to your home. That's the implication here. And so I think it's proper to understand when we meet the Lord in the air, it's using this word that would have been understood that way. Not just any meeting, but it's a, a greeting and a welcoming meeting. And so the, we meet the Lord in the air. The, the, those on earth come out and meet Him in the clouds and greet Him and then escort Him to the earth. That's what's going on here. So this is not meeting and then Jesus taking off to go somewhere else with His people. This is meeting to come to the earth. Another reason is that the word His coming is used here. That's a word, the parousia, you've heard that, uh, used for His final coming, His return. It's a specific word. 
Uh, and, and it's a coming. It's not a going. This is not the going of Jesus. This is the coming of Jesus. He comes to stay. He comes here to stay. And, and everywhere else th- this word is used, or commonly used, you see that that's the implication. So in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, he's speaking of his coming, and he's speaking in that chapter, in that section, about when he comes bringing judgment on those who have opposed God. And it says in verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by what? The appearance of his coming. So he comes down to earth, he comes in the clouds, he gets escorted down to earth, and then he deals with rebellion. So his coming is to deal with rebellion, not to, to go back to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24 as well. Same sort of thing. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive with glorious news. But in each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So He comes to bring us new life and He comes to bring His kingdom. And His kingdom is established at this point. By the way, that would be understood if you have a premillennial or amillennial view or even post-millennial in that. But, but He comes back to return and to establish His kingdom. It's not a coming and then a going. Uh, so I, I hope you understand that, guys. And I only say that because there's ideas out there about the rapture. Some believe that He'll come and He'll take us secretly back to heaven. We'll be gone for a while and then come back. No, He comes back and He comes to stay. And it's going to be glorious. And that's why Paul uh, is sharing this. He wants them to be encouraged by this glorious truth. This wonderful truth that that He will come back and bring eternal life. And He will come to stay. And your brothers and sisters who have died are with Him. And then you'll be with them forever. That's what He's teaching here. And it's all based on His death and resurrection. It all leads to these other things. And it's going to be glorious. It, it's just it, This is our hope, guys. This is what we need to tell each other and remind each other about what's coming, that there's a resurrection, there's a kingdom that will never end. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, it's going to be glorious. Some years ago, I was uh, visiting a church and, um, and this particular church building um, had a graveyard in their front lawn. It was an older church building and they had a graveyard in the front lawn. It wasn't that building, but it was similar. Uh, and so to, to come and visit the building, you had to actually walk through the graveyard. There was a little path and there were stones everywhere. And, uh, and I said to my friend, uh, wow, this is cool. And something like that. And he was like, no, I think it's kind of spooky. I was like, no, this is great. He's like, why? And I said, just think about it. Uh, on the last day, the resurrection, you have the people in the church who have been part of the church over the years, probably centuries, all the faithful believers buried there in the front lawn. 
And on resurrection day, you're all going to rise again. And I can just picture rising alongside my brothers and sisters and be like, yeah, high-fiving all together and being taken up to be with the Lord. I like having that idea. Now, we have no plans, but wouldn't that be cool in some ways? To have these graves of all your faithful brothers and sisters there on the front lawn and to remember them and to think they're with the Lord right now. And someday soon, we will rise together and enjoy the full victory of the Lord. These are encouraging truths. Final point. Paul wants them to be encouraged. And so, as I alluded to earlier, verses 13 and 18 speak of this. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep, that they may not grieve as others who have no hope. And then he says in verse 18, Therefore, in light of what I've just said, encourage one another with these words. Guys, it's so important to be informed. It's so important to be reminded. It's so important to remember. It's so important to share with each other these truths. There's power in these truths. Their being informed leads to them having hope. Them sharing and encouraging one another with these words strengthens them for their lives now. This is so important to get. It is one of the biggest reasons that we come together as a church. There are a lot of things that we can do as a church, but there are some things we must do, and this is one of those things we must do. We must come together to encourage one another with these words. We must come together to remind each other of these truths. We must come together to inform one another about the truth of the Gospel and its implications and the the sure return and resurrection that is all of ours. We must come together to do these. We must do these things. And that that is really much of what we do as a church. We come together to remind each other, to encourage each other, to exhort each other in light of these things. The different ministries we have really are are, are at the core of what we do is just coming together to encourage one another with these words. On Sundays, we come together to sing about Jesus' death and resurrection and all that comes with it. We hear the Word preached and proclaimed to us. We listen to that. We celebrate the truth of the Word in sacraments. That's what we're doing when we come together. That's what we do in our community groups. We come together to encourage one another, to remind each other of these truths, to help each other in light of these truths. That's what we do in youth group, in young adults group, in our men's and ladies' Bible studies. It's what we do in Alpha ultimately, is we're trying to share this truth that people might receive it and find life in it. This is so important, guys. And I, and I hope you realize how much you need to be a part of this. And how important your participation is in, in being here on Sundays and sharing and, and listening as well. It's both receiving and giving. I hope you understand how important it is for you to be a regular part of a community group or, or some other aspect of regular being together to regularly remind each other of these truths. Hebrews puts it pretty starkly. Hebrews 3.13 says, "...but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." These truths keep you from being hardened by sin. Sin is ever active. Your flesh is ever active. The enemy is ever active. What what is the cure? What is the solution? Encourage one another. Remind each other of these truths. Share them together. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, same sort of thing. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as 
is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, we need this. This is, brings us life and health and strength. We need to be informed. We need to encourage each other. We need to hear it ourselves. When we get together, it's just not a, any old social meeting, social gathering. It's not just any old gathering of friends. We gather together to be reminded and remember and encounter God Himself in that together. You know, none of us would go long without eating healthy meals. We, we know we need to eat because we feel it when we don't. Um, and, and similarly, spiritually, we need to be fed. But I think sometimes uh, we can kind of think we're okay because we feel okay otherwise. And it makes me think of, of the condition called scurvy. Have you heard of scurvy? Uh, scurvy used to be very prevalent, particularly for sailors. Uh, they would, uh, because they would go on long voyages and they would have plenty of food to eat, but they didn't have everything they needed. And they didn't understand at the time that, that they needed vitamin C. They hadn't isolated vitamin C. Actually, it wasn't isolated until 1927. Um, and they hadn't even connected uh, their need for vitamin C with things like you know, citrus, lemons, and oranges as well. So from the 1500s to about 1800, about 2 million sailors died of scurvy. And scurvy is a terrible disease. They, they say that at the end, that death is, death is welcome because it's so painful and so terrible. It causes your body to break down. It causes you to get sick and feel terrible. But in the early 1700s, the Royal British Navy uh, discovered, actually was a physician, and discovered uh, the effect of citrus fruits and lemons. And so they started requiring all the warships to have lemons. I think that's where limey, the limey term comes from. I'm not sure about that, but where they're called limeys because they, they had limes for vitamin C. And so it, it cured them. Well, spiritually, guys, we need our vitamin C of the truth of God's Word. And if the band could come up as we close. We need to encourage one another. And I'm so glad for so many of you that you are committed to this. But I just want to encourage you all the more to remember these things, to share these things, to receive these things, to be part of the life of the church. Or if you have another local church, there as well. There's lots of good churches that focus on these truths. And don't let Facebook or social media substitute for this. Guys, it's not the same. We're not made for relationships merely over electronic devices, as good as the iPhone is. and I have an iPhone. I use the iPhone. But don't let it substitute for God's design, which is face-to-face relationship, face-to-face conversation, face-to-face encouragement around the Gospel, around these truths. That's where you'll receive your vitamin C. That's where you'll have life from these truths. So let us remind each other. Let us encourage each other with these truths as we prepare to transition to communion, let me share one more juicy lemon of, full of vitamin C of truth about the resurrection. It says in Colossians 3, 1-4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's your life in Christ. Well, we're going to celebrate communion.